It's Home Fried from Dirty Spoon Media. A couple times a week, we bring you stories and conversations to keep you entertained during the coronavirus lockdown. I'm Jonathan Ammons. Today, we are going to check in with our neighbors just a little to the south in Greenville, South Carolina. Greenville has been seeing an explosive growth for the past 10 years. Around the time they announced their bid for the Google pipeline in 2010, the population there exploded, growing 41% in a single year. And since then, it's been off to the races. With an influx of young blood and startup businesses, the restaurant scene in Greenville has also seen a massive boom, completely transforming the city in a short decade. But seemingly overnight, all of that changed. With over 400 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the county, the city is on a tight lockdown like everywhere else right now. And it is estimated that Greenville is losing $1.8 million a day, according to the Greenville Journal. Steph Burnett lives in Greenville. She's a travel writer and the editor of At Home Magazine. And she seemed like the perfect person to fill us in on how things are going down there and what the future looks like for one of the South's fastest growing communities. Steph also used to teach cooking classes at the John C. Campbell Folk School in Brasstown, North Carolina, so she seemed like the perfect person to play a pantry raid game with. So stick around till the end of the conversation, and we'll show you how to do some things with those curious, dusty items at the back of your kitchen cabinets. I talked to Steph via Zoom at her house in Greenville. Um, you know, it's interesting in Greenville. Um, you guys may feel the same thing in Western North Carolina. It's like we're not the red zone. So yeah. there's still this ominous collective sigh of hurry up and wait. Yeah. It's like we're all ready for it to be 120 days or 200 days from now. And it's almost this like blessing in disguise. Like it hasn't felt very emergent here, but then we're also just kind of waiting for it to happen. It's, you know, the suspense is killing all of us. It's just very strange. Yeah. How did South Carolina handle the, the their lockdown? Like when did they go into lockdown? And Not stuff? well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, um, so I'm originally from California and then I lived in Georgia for a good bit of time and then moved to South Carolina. And, you know, the great thing about South Carolina, its benefit is also its detriment. So at times we're very like rogue and do it our way. And that benefits us. Yeah. Um, but we were late in sheltering in calling school in closing non-essential businesses. Um, you know, I think we were suspicious of the numbers and it really just, you know, seeing the crisis of maybe Northern California and New York before people took it seriously here. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, mean, I think we're, I think we're a bit behind. We're still seeing people like openly pushing, you know, strollers and walking dogs without masks on. And I mean, you know. at least you guys weren't as bad as Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, I did hear from a neighbor today that there was a 40 car line at Chick-fil-A. So, Oh my God. You know, it's like comfort food. <laughs> Some of the statistics I've heard about how vegetables are rotting in produce sections, but there isn't an Oreo to be found. Right. <laughs> I do. I do find that interesting, though. You know, the fact that we're all relying on almost childlike comfort foods. Yeah. Did uh, how has this affected your work? Because you do travel writing and 
Yeah. Yeah. So I have a little bit of a mixed bag. So half of my work world is um, I'm managing editor of At Home Magazine, which is a quarterly um, Which is a very fit magazine for right now. Uh, you know, the when I look down and I see the cover, it's a little terrifying. <laughs> you know, when I took this gig, I was like, how much fun, a home and garden magazine, right? And now I look at it and it feels a little apocalyptic. This is all there is. I yeah. mean, I just, I had no idea the responsibility of having to produce a 140 page magazine about your whole world. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the other half of my world is as a food and a food travel writer. So um, that's a little challenging right now. Um, I lost between ten dollars and $12,000 worth of assignments in 10 days. Wow. That's massive. So those are gone. Um, and, you know, Sure, publications that, you know, use me as a freelancer will come back. But a lot of those stories I had in the works for two or three quarters. So it's not that I have written them, but it's like you cultivate your sources and your contacts and you have these ideas and you sell them almost like little baby chickens into the world. And now these stories aren't relevant. Yeah. So I had a... um very close, close to a sold story about traveling to New Orleans and not going to the French Quarter. And stories about travel to New Orleans, not a really not a good time. Right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's really strange. And then, you know, even as the editor of a magazine who I send out assignments, we had to predict you know, how much smaller the book or the page count would be because yeah. how many advertisers are we going to lose? Right. How many people can't afford to advertise right now? We understand that. Um, but we're hoping, you know, we're having to predict what that percentage is. Yeah. So it's very, it's, it's, you know, just strange is the best way to put it. Um, it's absolutely the opposite of delicious, which makes me sad. <laughs> Um, you know, you and I have like been on judging panels before and have been at like similar conferences and all of those things that make up like our day-to-day -day work life feel really irrelevant right now. Yeah. That's always been kind of like why we, we do this show the way we did was because there was a element to those things that I was like, at a certain point, some of this work, some of the work that I do is not going to matter. And, uh. But man, working for a home and garden magazine, that really matters right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, the levity of things like, um, you know, most of my work life is in a pretty happy, clappy place. And I'm not apologetic about that. Yeah. I'm okay with there being some beauty in the world. Right. Um, but like staying at home almost matters more than ever. Mm -hmm. And so. Um, and yeah, enjoying I mean, your time at home. Yeah. Well, and really um, liking the place you call home. Yeah, yeah. Because oftentimes what we do, and I think what we're all desperately hoping to do, is let the laundry pile back up because we found other things to do hundreds of miles away. But right, right now it's more about um, finding some comfort in the monotony. I think we're all very much having to look down rather than out. Yeah. Um, and you know, making up your bed might be the most exciting thing you do in the morning. That's okay. So how is, um, 
what is the scene looking like in Greenville right now? Like what's going to happen? Because <sighs> this yeah. is a, I mean, I guess you should, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about Greenville's kind of explosive growth in the last few years and how it's kind yeah. of blown up as a city. So, I mean, in the last 20 years, it has just turned into, you know, one of these composite towns that everybody from the young to the old want to live in. And it was always poised to do that in a way because South Carolina's taxation is very affordable and sitting right smack on 85 between Atlanta and Charlotte. You know, if you're as a company, if you're like a supplier or you have people that have a lot of clients across the Southeast, Greenville's a great place to plant your flag. Yeah. So that coupled with the, yeah, that Greenville campaign um, and a downtown that's truly just. That was the name of the campaign? Oh, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, that Greenville is one of the most successful downtown campaigns by a CVB ever in American history. Huh. So um, it's, you know, because there's a Greenville in 38 different places. Right, right, right. Yeah, someone very cleverly hashtagged that and um, Greenville picked it up and ran with it. But, you know, in 2000, there were a handful of restaurants on Main Street, even though Main Street was already very walkable. Yeah. I mean, okay, let's just maybe a dozen if you literally counted even the cafes inside the office buildings. And at last count, I heard it was approaching 200. Hmm. And we're talking about the span of what you could walk in a day, like yeah. three miles at most. So, um, and so many of those are independent, even though some of them may fall into like what we would consider like a regional chain. Right. Um, but sadly, and recently I was asked, you know, how many of those restaurants do you think will reopen after this is all said and done? And if we talk about independent restaurants, um, I think 50% of them will not reopen. Mm. That's a huge call. It saddens me. I think it's horrible, but I think we're coming out of a Kool-Aid colored world where people with experience and even people without experience were opening restaurants and a women of prayer. And not to say they weren't successful, but they were successful in a like month to month environment, not successful in a way that they had planned to weather something like this. Yeah. Do you think that uh, how? What do you think is going to make the difference between the restaurants that survive down there and the ones that don't? A letter of credit. Yeah. Really, it comes down to: Did you have a line of credit with your bank yeah. that you could float a zombie apocalypse? Mm-hmm. Truly. And, you know, um, some old school businesses, 100% already did because they used an SBA loan to open or they came out of another industry and knew that was like 100% needed. Um, But I think a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of um, chef-driven restaurants that decided to open on themselves opened with investment from every family and friend that they knew and they only had that amount to start Mm. so if you didn't already have a line of credit with your bank you're not going to um weather the storm yeah you know the other really interesting thing though um i was speaking to someone a couple days ago about this 
you know, what will restaurants look like when they reopen? And if you own your building or your space, you might be okay. Yeah. If you have a background in catering or you are a caterer, you might be okay. What do you think if, makes the difference there? Um, so caterers are really incredibly good at inventory management. Right. And they're fine with just offering a small menu to a select number of people. Yeah. So it's almost food on demand, like printing on demand. It's meals on demand. Mm -hmm. And so caterers know how to splice and dice down to a plate or a box. So they're much more transactional. Um, And I think they're going to be in it for the longer haul with something like this. Um, I also think the smaller kitchens can survive. Really, most people probably don't process that the most expensive thing in a restaurant is the kitchen cost. Yeah. Because it's the square footage, of course, like what's your triple net, what's your price per square that you pay for your rent. But your kitchen pulls so much power. Your utilities are all based on your kitchen. Right. So right now, if your output is only 20%, but you have to fire up a grill and a hood. You're just paying out the wazoo. Yeah. How do you pay your gas bill when you're only serving a hundred box lunches a day? Right. So if you happen to have a kitchen that wasn't very large, or if you kind of grew with your restaurant where you added stuff on and you can only fire up certain portions of your kitchen, you might be able to afford to weather this. Hmm. But some of these restaurants that had 150 seats out front and the Cadillac of hoods and the Mercedes of grills out back in the kitchen, those are very expensive kitchens to even turn the lights on, let alone staff. Yeah, that's a really good point and not one that I've heard anyone else making. <laughs> um, you know, if you can cut a takeout window into the side of your wall, you should do it right. in the next five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, I mean, just about everything's running takeout here. How about how about down there? Yeah, yeah. There's a ton of takeout. There's a ton of planned meals. Um, I think people are, you know, very interested in supporting local, um, you know, the restaurants that have stayed open, I think, um, are figuring out a roadmap for the Brave New World right now. Like how many days they want to offer, how many things do they want to offer? It's really going to come down to inventory management. Yeah. Um, which is fascinating. Um, oddly, I have not seen a decline on any of the food trucks. Hmm. So I don't know were they already kind of operating in a COVID environment in a way. Yeah. So they were already, um, you know, operating on really minimal inventory. I'm sure. So right. So I'm still seeing that. I mean, it also means a lot of us are eating a lot of frozen to bake foods and a lot of fried foods. Um, which in the long term, I mean, it's just going to make us palate weary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm really sad because of the restaurants that may not reopen. And so I read an article in the Greenville Journal, um, which, um, is one of the publications for the, um, publishing group that I work for, for at home. Um, but the article today said that 
Visit Greenville SE thinks they've lost 7,000 people in a walkable traffic downtown, which translates to $54 million of lost revenue per month. Whoa. And I was just like, I was trying to like <laughs> calculate, wait, how much does one visitor spend per person? But, yeah. you know, it was like $1.8 million a day. You've got to think that 70% of that is food and alcohol. Yeah. And I hotel know. stay, you know? Yikes. So I'm not really sure how any um, township the size of a Greenville or an Asheville survives, except that when you don't have a choice, you just keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it, in a way, it would be worse. Like, let's say, you know, a hurricane or a tornado, like a natural disaster whipped through your town and created the same amount of damage. That's going to be more damaging for that town because travelers, vacationers, weekend trip travel, they just go to the other cute small southern town nearby. Right. So in an odd way, if every mid-sized southern town that's picturesque are all a little bit empty after this. I don't feel like it's going to impact, you know, their volume of trip travel as much as it would have in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move to happier notes. You know, we've we've brought you here to to play a pantry raid game. <laughs> yes, we're going to play pantry games. Yes. So I posted on Facebook the other day just asking all of my followers to pull three things out of their pantry or freezer or fridge that they needed to use up that they haven't figured out what to do with yet. So the way we're going to do this is we're each going to come up with our our idea of what we would do with each ingredient. And... uh, I guess we'll just get started here. Uh, you know, we're going to okay, try to gonna, only stick to... What was your question? Are we going to alternate, or are we both going to say what we're doing with it? I think we should both say what we'll do with it. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. And uh, I guess we'll, uh, you know, only use the ingredients that are co- pretty common to have around. And, uh, you know, stuff that... Yeah, like in, in addition to. Yeah. yeah, in addition to. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with Josh in Asheville. We're going to lowball this first one just to, to warm up. He's got <laughs> ground beef, russet or sweet potatoes, and broccoli. Tons of this stuff in his house, but he's sick of burgers and fries and the usual generic stuff that you do with it, and he wants something creative to do. Okay, well, I mean, immediately you could just go to the easy one, which is like a stuffed sweet potato. Yeah. You know, that'd be pretty easy. Like, you know, the ground beef, you could add some sage, some diced apple in there, and some roasted broccoli, you know, melted butter. You'd be great. Um, But really, I think there's a really fun, like, pandemic version of meatballs here. Because if you think of, like, the potatoes replacing the starch of bread, and then, like, the broccoli, if you roasted it and chopped it down, could get, like, a little bit of a, you know, herb-like flavor. I, I think there's a great play on a pan-fried meatball here. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. My first thought was a, uh, a shepherd's pie with the sweet potatoes. 
Oh, yeah, or I, either potato. Yeah, I really love like mashed sweet potatoes, and it actually makes a really killer shepherd's pie because sweet potatoes and carrots play really well if you've got those. Throwing that broccoli, you know. Also, if anyone's ever given you one of those hand torches, yeah. you know, I think some people that, you know, if you're a foodie, that's like a gift that people give you. This is, you know, it's not just creme brulee or marshmallows. Like you should absolutely pull your hand torch back out and be firing any type of mashed potatoes on top of anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good call. Okay. Here's a, uh, let's, let's make it a little harder with the next one. Um, let's see. Rebecca in Asheville asked for, uh, or has a dried lotus seed ramps and tofu. I mean, I, I'm, my brain just jumps to ravioli. Ooh. I mean, maybe because you think of rapini or broccoli rabe, you know, in Philadelphia in the spring, um, it's very popular to have a, a ravioli with the bitter greens inside it. And I think your tofu can act like a ricotta. And then, you know, dried lotus seed, you can grate that or it could be like a perfect garnish. You could also boil it and get the flavor out of it and then create like a broth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was what I, I immediately jumped to doing just a, a dressed up version of ramen. You take your, yeah. uh, you make your broth with your, uh, your lotus seed. And then you also yep. use that to marinate your tofu overnight and then use those ramps in, and boil everything together, just like a one pot dish. And you could even fry the tofu after you've, after you've, uh, yeah. after you've marinated it. And make it even more interesting and just throw whatever other veggies you have in. You can steam it all. Just like close the lid. Once you get to a boil, steam the whole thing. Pull it out. It's an easy one-pot dish. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm all about the not having to clean things up when you're in the middle of a pandemic. Just eat it right out of the pot, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. All right. We got um, Mike Moore from uh, Blind Pig. Send in a in his submission, which is chicken gizzards, botarga, and buttermilk. Um. Okay. Should we explain what botarga is first? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. So, um, I only know it from Sardinia. It's a very large fish roe that is dried, and then most often it's grated. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a classic replacement for a nutmeg to be honest, like a vegetarian version of Botago would be nutmeg. Um, but I mean, buttermilk. Okay. I heard buttermilk. I heard gizzards. All I see is frying stuff. So, I mean, you know, chicken fried gizzards, and then you shave the fish row over it and, you know, possibly even turn this into like a fusion pasta thing. Yeah. That sounds great. Actually, that would be really killer. I mean the kind bitterness of, of style the pasta. Yeah, but also the bitterness of the fish row um grated over the like really savory gizzards would really be kind of amazing. <laughs> Granted though, I'd much rather have him cook this for us than you and I cook it. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I I thought in the same direction with the gizzards of like marinating them in the buttermilk or brining them in yeah. the buttermilk even just salting yeah. it with brining. the with yep. the and then um but mine is a chicken gizzard pate. Oh. So you brine it in the buttermilk and then you just add in some onions and some garlic and celery, maybe a little applesauce if you have it, some bacon maybe if it's laying around. Throw it all in a food, like cook all that down, throw it in a food processor and just puree the hell out of it. 
and then top it with the Botarga. I mean, we're back to very adventurous eating, but yeah, let's do it. <laughs> well, it's chicken gizzards. If you have that in your pantry, you're going to be adventurous eating. That's true. <laughs> I just want to go to a blind pig supper club supper dinner right now. <laughs> we'll just have to make them in our own homes. All right. Katie in Asheville wants to know about canned crushed pineapple, Crisco, and sweetened condensed milk. I mean, she's halfway to pineapple upside down cake. Yeah. How would you How would you finish that off? I mean, the other thing when I saw this was like, oh, well, let's make like a fun pineapple golden milk and then do something dirty with the Crisco. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe add some rum to the golden milk, get a little tipsy and like wink, wink at the hubby. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) My my immediate go to was to do those microwave sponge cakes like they used to do at El Bui and uh just use the uh, so to do that, you just take the egg, you take some condensed milk, a little flour, baking powder, salt, use that Crisco in lieu of butter, yeah, and uh, microwave it for about a minute and minute, minute and 20 seconds. It's like super quick, you just throw it in a coffee mug and it all just puffs up with that, that baking powder, and then you just top it with fruit, and you yeah, don't even have to add sugar fun. because you've got that sweetened milk. Oh, well, sweetened condensed milk is crazy sweet. Yeah. Uh, You You know, these are three ingredients that are really fantastic together. And I think the thing that we've forgotten about Crisco is how beautifully golden a baked good comes out with it. So the pineapple and the Crisco together are kind of like best of friends. Yeah. Yeah. Any other fruit you could throw in that too would just make it even better. Yeah. Nikki in Winston-Salem, another another food writer, Nikki Miller-Kaw, she, uh, or she has mushrooms, coconut milk, and cucumber. Okay, well, I'm going to challenge myself here because, I mean, the minute anyone says coconut milk, I'm like, Thai food. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I'm going to be like, okay, no Asian cuisine here. Um, and my thought is, tzatziki sauce a yeah. play on that so why not shred the coconut and or sorry shred the cucumber and use the coconut milk to make a tzatziki sauce and then what does that usually go on a euro so what about a vegetarian mushroom euro so use that greek seasoning and brown your mushrooms in olive oil very slowly without salt until they brown then add the salt um and make those mushrooms like a euro meat, put it on a pita, and then use that coconut milk and cucumber as a tzatziki sauce over top. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a killer idea. I mean, I immediately went Thai just because I was like, duh. <laughs> I know. You, 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 both of us have a little emoji with a little hand raise. Yeah, because, I mean, that, those ingredients would work perfectly with, like, the cucumber. You could pickle that cucumber, like, quick pickle it, and throw it in a yeah. curry, and it would be really killer, or just top it on a curry. Or you could make a Tom Kha soup out of that. and Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Braise your chicken I in, think the, the in the biggest, coconut milk. Just going back to cooking school at the folk school, um, really, I think the biggest sin that home cooks make in the kitchen is that when they cook mushrooms, they steam them. 
most people who don't like mushrooms, and I was one for decades and decades, um, is the rubbery texture. Right. And you just really have to think about osmosis. You know, mushrooms are sponges. Do you want to brown them or do you want to sponge them? Yeah. So, you know, I just think it's always such a great reminder of you cook a mushroom and then salt it. Mm. So, you know, mushrooms have to be handled carefully. And the minute you add salt, they're going to release all of their liquid and bathe in it. (laughs) Yeah. So um, as much as we all love mushrooms, we're going to love them a lot more if we uh, cook them with more attention. All right. We got two more of these. You ready to knock them out? Yeah. Okay. Blake in Charleston has fresh pineapple, rice noodles, and white onion. Well, I'm going to let you go first. I think I've been going first and we said we were going to alternate. Um, okay. I mean, I was going to go really boring Thai style again with this, with just a Thai noodle salad of you got those fresh pineapples, you got the white onion. If you've got some, some coriander laying around, fresh coriander, or you've got, uh, um, lime, you can make like a quick, easy dressing of, you know, fish sauce, a little lime, a little, uh, simple syrup. But yeah, so mine's just a, a a boring old cold noodle salad. Well, not boring. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I was going to say, I would be so happy. Slice I'd be some so jalapenos happy someone put that in there. front of me. Yeah, so not jalapenos, serrano peppers, whatever peppers you got. Yeah, any well, of that. Whatever you're in the mood for. You might yeah. be in the mood for something a little hot, spicy. Shred some carrots on there, you know, use whatever lettuce you have. Just chill the noodles down, mix it up. Toss it with uh, with a good soy sauce based or fish sauce based dressing. You know what I do like about this? I think everybody has either an udon or a rice noodle package sitting at the back of their pantry that they've had like you know great hopes to use. Yeah, you and might want to check if the really... kitchen moths got to that one yet, but it's <laughs> otherwise it's it's probably pretty good. Hey, protein. They keep forever. <laughs> Um, I, I think this is just such a delightful way to use them though. Yeah. Yeah. What was your, what's your idea? Um, I mean, I, of course I naturally thought of like a broken noodle dish, like a Vietnamese dish. Um, but I also think this is a great opportunity. I don't know if everybody has scallops lying around, but, um, I just think of pineapple, onion and rice noodles. Like, Oh yes. I just can see a scallop dish. You know, I love. I love a confit onion. So, you know, if you slice your onion and literally put water, not even salt, onion and water, let it cook for an hour and a half. You're going to get down to a base sweetness in the onion. That's really going to balance like the fattiness of a scallop and then the fruit sweetness of pineapple. So, um, I, I kind of, I was also feeling like a confit onion pineapple dish with some rice noodles and then maybe like a brulee pineapple with it. Yeah. All right. One last one. You ready? Yes. All right. Lori in Asheville has canned tuna, frozen cauliflower, and cheddar cheese. All Just, right. Me or you? <laughs> go for it. Oh, thanks. Well, I mean, I do remember as a teenager, one of the first things I actually knew how to cook was macaroni and cheese. And I had a high school friend that would always add a can of drained tuna. And that was like kind of like a quick meal. Yeah. So 
I do think there's a chance here to do like a cauliflower and mac and cheese with some tuna. But also people forget about canned fish to turn them into patties and cakes. I mean, like a salmon cake, a tuna cake, really easy to make this into, you know, a simple patty that you would uh, pan fry on the stove and then maybe have like a roasted cauliflower mac and cheese with it. Yeah, totally. I mean, my initial thought was the basics, like this is an easy frittata if you've got a bunch of eggs. It's Mm, easy. I love that. An easy tuna noodle casserole. But the one that I thought of that I was like, actually, you could make this kind of a fun healthy meat to non-healthy dish by thawing out that cauliflower and then ricing it with your, just mm-hmm. a box grater or if you have the ricer on your on your food processor um and then i like to take because i can't stand the smell of canned fish it's one of the few smells that just drives me. it's just too much or especially like most cheap canned tunas um but if you bread that and then fry it just pan fry it you get this nice kind of croquette kind of thing. And oh, uh, I just like the word croquette. Yeah. It makes like a nice little fish ball, like a fried breaded, nice crunchy little fish ball. And then put that over top of the rice cauliflower and then drown the whole thing in cheese. <laughs> I mean, and then we can talk about what we're probably all really doing, which is I'm going to sit and watch Hulu and eat the cheese <laughs> I have uh, roasted and pureed and tried to feed the baby the cauliflower as baby food, and my cat already got to the can of tuna. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, thank you for playing uh, the, the, the pantry games with us. Yes. I feel, like, um, I feel like other guests to the Dirty Spoon should at least have to do one, one of these. Oh, yeah. No, I think I need to make this a more, more regular thing for this series because it is a great little game. And I think it's a fun diversion from the seriousness of these conversations. <laughs> oh, it's super fun. Steph Burnett is the editor of At Home Magazine, a perfect read for our quarantine times. You can follow her on Instagram at EatDrinkCarolinas. And read her work at athomeupstate.com. Home Friday is a production of Dirty Spoon Media. I'm Jonathan Ammons, and I'm the editor-in-chief. I produce the show, and I write and record our interstitial music. Catherine Campbell is our editor-at-large, manages our website and marketing, and churns the butter around here. The game show music in today's episode was by Sean Lee's Ping Pong Orchestra. To catch the latest season of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour, be sure to tune into 103.7 WPVM on the first Friday of every month at 5 p.m. You can also catch up on back episodes of the show, stream any of our podcasts, check out artwork from our brilliant contributing artists, or support us through our Patreon at our webpage, dirty-spoon.com. We'll be back with new episodes of Home Fried every Tuesday and Thursday with occasional episodes on Saturdays. To subscribe, just search for the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Always bringing you stories from the people who shape what we consume on the Dirty Spoon. Stay safe.